we strongly believe that you know partnership with banks it's in the roots of the company ANZ partners with global payment specialist Worldline to offer market leading merchant services to Australian businesses ANZ's Andrew Cornell managing editor of Blue Notes Mark Hand Group Executive Australia and Lisa Vasic, Managing Director Transaction Banking Institutional, chat with Worldline's Head of Merchant Services, Vincent Rowland, about how the partnership came about, the benefits it will bring to customers, and the evolution of payments. Well, thank you, Vincent Rowland, Lisa Vasic, and Mark Hands, for joining me, Andrew Cornell, to talk about the partnership between ANZ and Worldline in the merchant services business. Um, and Vincent, perhaps I could start with you. Uh, Worldline is obviously a global business, a huge global business with around 20,000 people, but not that well known in Australia. Can you give us a sort of brief history of, of how Worldline came to be and, and the kinds of businesses it's in? Yes, sure. Um, well, Worldline was born almost 20 years ago, and uh, at that time was part of a uh, an IT company called Atos, uh, which I think has uh, also uh, strong operations in Australia. It's a global IT outsourcing company born in France. And the vision of uh, the CEO of Atos at that time was that uh, when he was talking to customers, he had two types of customers. Uh, customers that just wanted to outsource their own IT because they, they thought it was better to give it to a professional IT company but also customers that were basically almost demanding the same kind of functionalities. And uh, this proved to be mainly in the banking sector, where, you know, uh, issuing a card, acquiring a card, making an account-to-account payment, was a, a, a growing demand from multiple parties. So instead of, you know, continuing to develop a, a custom-based approach, like developing specifically for one customer, he decided to push into a new entity called Worldline uh, all these product-based uh, solutions that uh, the market was demanding. And uh, that was the start of, of, of Worldline. And that's why in, in Worldline today, you still find uh, this combination of uh, banking, processing, payment uh, assets, but also uh, more digital assets. Uh, because, of course, when you do that, you, you, you board applications that are, you know, like a loyalty uh, program. Uh, you had, of course, many customers demanding loyalty programs. So these kind of more digital applications also came on board of the company. And then, you know, uh, back in 2006, um, I think uh, he decided that he needed to scale the business by doing some acquisition. And one of the first acquisitions he did was, was my company at the time, which was uh, owned by all the Belgian banks, which was called Banksys. And uh, basically, he, he managed to convince the banks that it was time to uh, basically exit this community processing business. Uh, and why? Because the euro was coming, because the borders were going to open, and you know what was the local payment uh, was likely uh, going to become a, a global business. So, and, and you know, adding this 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 asset gave a lot of credibility to uh, to the nascent world line, um, and, and and from there, I think the story never stopped. Uh, it grew by, of course, boarding customers that were looking at, at payment solutions and also some kind of digital solutions, 
but then it, it, it also grew by acquisitions. And, and we did a big number of acquisitions over the last few years, always, mostly always coming from the banking world. So assets that banks uh, didn't know exactly what to do with it because it was born a long, long time ago in a community that tried to optimize costs. But as the community was in many cases exploding, huh, you know, the consolidation of the banking industry has created also more global banks than just local banks. Uh, it, it appeared that many assets, like the bank's assets, uh, became, uh, you know, available in the market. Uh, and uh, that's how the company grew to, to what it is today. Uh, and uh, was finally listed on the stock exchange in 2014 as a separate uh, company, uh, Atos being still the majority shareholder. And, and very recently, or less, less than 18 months ago, basically became fully uh, independent Atos uh, still owns a very small share, uh, but uh, basically it, it, it's really uh, an, an open company. And uh, the recent acquisitions of Ingenico is also a way for Worldline to uh, to go to the next level because we were, I think, very strong in Europe. Uh, we had an, a big number of interesting positions in other markets, like we are well positioned, I can say even number one in India. We have a, uh, a base in Latin America, we have a base in APAC. So, you know, we, we, we were feeling quite, uh, you know, uh, better than, than just being European. But with the Ingenico acquisition, it gives us really the opportunity to, to become even more global. And I think this is, this is what we are ambitioning today, it's to be a global payment company. Um, in that world, I think we could rank ourselves as number four, the three first being uh, the well-known big American processors and that also did the kind of same uh, evolution over the last uh, uh, 10 years. And, um, well, we, we, we strongly believe that, you know, uh, partnership with banks, it's in the roots of the company. And indeed, that um, it is a neat um, lead into the discussion about ANZ because historically, the big four Australian banks, the major Australian banks, have been in that position that you refer to where they do all the, the card issuing, the merchant relationships, processing, almost all that they've done themselves. But around the world, we've seen, and particularly with Worldline, that it makes a lot of sense for specialist companies to do that. So, Mark, I, I was wondering, the historically, ANZ has been one of those major business banks that does all these things themselves. What's the thinking behind going into a partnership now? I guess one thing to remember is this is by no means a rash decision or a, an impulsive decision. In fact, we've been considering this as an option since 2017. Um, so it's been a, a long time in the making. And I guess we go back to 2017, there's a couple of things that we've, we've seen going on in the world. One is that initially in our space, and um, you know, one of the four major banks in Australia, have been all things to all people. And so you kind of feel you need to be the manufacturer and a provider in every segment for every customer. And we started to question that in terms of the strategy of the bank. Do we need to be all things to all people? And another thing that we saw emerging was increasingly the use with amongst big corporates in particular, uh, the use of partnerships to bring services or capability to market. We kind of looked at our portfolio of, of businesses um, and capability. And one of the things that became obvious to us is that 
a lot of our businesses, if we really wanted to provide world-class capability, we needed to invest significantly. And you just frankly, you don't have the capacity to invest everything you'd like to invest in every business to make it world-class. So we looked at our portfolio for opportunities where we thought, where would be an opportunity for us to partner with someone who's got world-class capability and provide that solution to our customer base in a seamless way. So it's, it's certainly not disruptive to our customers, but the customers start to see better capability and, um, and quicker evolution of that service that we put in front of them. And this became one of those areas that we explored, which has landed where we are here today, talking about the partnership that we're entering into, a situation where we will now be able to provide uh, a leapfrog in capability, world-class capability to our customers, and we'll have a vehicle that's got the capacity to continue invest, to invest and keep us at the forefront of what our customers are looking for in this space. So, you know, that, those trends around um, banks not having to do everything, um, the, the opportunity to partner and accelerate the offering that you could put in front of your customers, this became, for us, one of the obvious places to have a look, and this is where we are today. And Lisa, these the customers that Mark's talking about. These are merchants that expect accept electronic payments. Uh, will they see any? How will those customers see this partnership play out? And and what sort of things are they asking for? Mark mentioned that you know there's the opportunity to do a lot more for those customers. What, what's the sense of what the customers are after here? Yeah, no, great question. And look, I think at the heart of it, um, if we think about the payment um, space. In the last six months, we've probably seen um, a rise in convergence of activities that we would have normally seen in four years. So prior to COVID, we clearly saw that our customers were looking at, at payments as a necessary component of how they improve uh, their either their supply chain, but most importantly, their customer experience or customer proposition. So our customers, quite rightly, continue to expect more around how we as one of their key partners could continue to uplift the capability in the payment space and that was really where it traditionally had been in the physical terminal space um, but it also really extended into the online world and we've seen obviously um, the impacts of that in the last uh, six or seven months. So from our perspective um, what we also recognise and to Mark's point um, the amount of investment required to be at the forefront of every one of the capabilities and recognising not only in the merchant acquiring space but in the traditional peer-to-peer um, -peer payment space, the amount of uplift the banks have had to undertake to ensure that we provide our customers with digital capabilities has been significant. But coming back to the acquiring piece is uh, what we had recognised as an organisation is um, our customers were telling us that they expected that speed of change um, to be higher and were looking at partnerships and, and ways to be able to augment that. So from our perspective, what we kind of recognised was is that pace of change and what we need to keep up with was actually causing our customers to create complexity in their business by looking at alternate vendors to augment what they were um, currently receiving through their banking channels. And I think what you'll see with most customers is they want the leading capability, but ideally they don't want it in a way that creates complexity in their business. So from our perspective, looking into this was around how do we, through um, the ANZ lens, be able to ensure we can present to our customers that leading capability, whether it's in the online or physical space, without them having to fracture their wallet and provide complexity in terms of providing um, access to other partners. So that was one of the big things that we heard from our customers and which is one of the reasons that we looked into it and lent into it from a partnership vehicle because what we also recognise 
was our customers um, to really leverage um, the benefit of their payments. It also means having access to all the data and analytics that over, oversits those payments. Now, whether that is, again, in the acquiring space, whether it's in the traditional um, direct entry, uh, whether it's in our real-time payments or our MPP infrastructure, customers wanted the ability to have interoperability across their payments landscape and then to be able to have the insights to make informed decisions. So for us, um, this partnership provides us with the ability to make sure all the capabilities that we're providing to our customers are first in class. It gives them that opportunity for that interoperability and it really enhances the way that they can bring propositions to market, whether that's industry-based, whether it's sector-based, whether it's particularly customer propositions. Um, but also um, continuing to provide that simplicity of having that partnership approach with ANZ and giving them that choice of payment options depending on the right situation that they want to apply them to. And Vincent, Lisa touches on something on a phenomenon that we have seen quite dramatically in, in this year of COVID, and that's that there's been a massive acceleration in the pace of digital banking adoption, uh, contactless payments, you know, a, a real desire to move into the sort of the virtual world of payments. From your perspective at Worldline, are there particular trends in there? Are we, is it just the pace of change or is there other things emerging in how this world is changing? Well, uh, you know, of, of course, we we see that uh, the complexity of palettes. So I, I, I guess our customers are like they were, you know, a long time ago. They, they don't want to miss a sale, so they want to be able to accept all payment methods. And, uh, and as I was just saying, this complexity of taking all these payment methods at, uh, at the right pace is, is just increasing. The second, I think, is that uh, our customers are, the, the retail customers are more and more verticalizing their demand for payment solutions. Uh, just think of, you know, the, an airline versus a restaurant. Uh, it's clear that, you know, the, the way they want to take payments, the, one, the, the way they want to organize uh, the combination of uh, uh, the physical payments versus the remote payments, the click and collect. I think with the COVID, we have seen an explosion of demand uh, for e-payments uh, from, from a world of merchants that were just having a physical store. So suddenly they have to get equipped. So that, that complexity is also uh, stimulating, I think, the demand for electronic payments. And I think the last evolution that I see coming, and it's, it's starting right now, it's uh, it's still a nascent uh, evolution is that our customers are now asking, you know, what can we do before the payment and what can we do after the payment to create more, more stickiness with this consumer in front of us? Who is he? How many times did he come to the store? How much money is he spending in my store? Uh, how can I make this guy or this, this, this lady coming back uh, as soon as possible so that I can have an extra sale? And uh, th that's why you see also that uh, on, on, on the interaction side, you know, the, the, the physical terminal, if you just look at that, uh, a long time ago, it was a very small box with just, you know, enter pin, okay. Uh, now it, uh, it's an Android-based uh, terminal with the big screens and bigger and bigger uh, digital capabilities. And uh, th this is, I think, also the evolution where, you know, the the point of sales, you know, what was called the cash register in the past, uh, which in the meantime is in the cloud, uh, is, is, is getting more and more combined with the, 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 the payment. 
And so you see also uh, coming together between those two worlds, uh, and, and, and not only from an infrastructure point of view, but also from a, an end-to-end application point of view. And uh, that's why I think it will be very interesting in the coming years is that we will have reached maturity in number of payments with cards versus, well, cards or electronic payments versus cash. Uh, cash is slowly disappearing, and I think COVID has pushed more cash out of the market than, uh, than ever before. Um, but then, you know, we will have to make sure that uh, yeah, we help our merchants uh, growing their business and, and feeling that we are a business partner. Uh, much more than just a, a payment partner, which I think is the, the trusted relationship they always have uh, because, well, payment at the end is money on your account and you want security and trust, but also this uh, creativity and this capacity to take them to the to the next level. And Lisa, that actually is a, it comes to the crux of one of the issues. In the past, um, these partnerships with merchant acquiring specialists have not always succeeded and one of the main reasons was that the banks that established them seemed to lose control of the customer of the merchant and they wanted to know more about the merchant and have a deeper relationship but it sounds to me the way this transaction this partnership is structured is that ANZ maintains the merchant relationship is that the right way of thinking about it? Absolutely. And, and Andrew, I think that that was really at the crux of when we um, ventured down this pathway was how do we maintain the integrity um, of the relationship with our customers? Because as I said previously, um, our customers are not wanting to add complexity to their partnerships. Um, and, uh, and from an ANZ perspective, we recognise that to give our customers what I call full interoperability benefits, they needed to be agnostic of different payment types and we needed to be able to give them choice. And so from our perspective, in going down the partnership route, um, it allowed us to maintain that integrity of keeping all the payment options available to our customers, um, protecting that interoperability, whilst at the same time not creating additional complexity into it. But key um, for our customers also is, you know, providing a, a central data source in terms of saying, you know, for, as Vincent was saying, what are the use cases for our customers in terms of the opportunities or the problems that they're looking to solve for? And how can they look at that across their payment um, uh, value stream, not just at one single payment type? Because what we've seen again through COVID is that there's been a lot of migration from whether it's been check payments, which now are less than 1% of all Australian um, uh, payment types, whether it's across cash and whether it's across their digital payments as well. And how do they look at that in its totality to understand what is the best options to provide customers in different parts of their business? So for us, this model was the model that we found um, kept to the integrity of what we want to achieve from a customer value perspective. But also, importantly, um, as Mark said, um, this has been a long time in its um, gestation in terms of our thinking. And through that time period, the, the bank spent a lot of time researching alternate models to identify what worked and what hadn't worked, recognising that outsourcing, um, acquiring in its purest form had existed for many years. Um, that's the model we decided we did not want to go down to because, again, we want to keep that integrity of the customer relationship at the forefront of what we're trying to achieve. So from that perspective, we're very excited around what this can bring for um, our customers in terms of um, capability but also, as we said at the heart of it, you know, ensuring we can maintain that choice for them in the interoperability across different payment types. And Mark, just to sort of return then to your some of your opening comments, both Vincent and Lisa have been talking about on the, the merchant side, but also on the institutional side, 
complexity is not something anyone wants and complexity adds you know system faults and opens you up to operational risk and for three or four years now, ANZ has been focusing on simplification, and you can see how this partnership will help that. Is there further opportunities in uh, in your mind to to simplify through partnerships or these kinds of models? Yeah, there there absolutely is. I think there'll be more and more of it in the industry, and you know we've seen some um, a couple of things in our own organisation. So we have uh, an ATM network. We have um, a network that's based in our branches, and then we have an off-site network. But you go to a major shopping centre, and the four major banks will have their ATMs all next to each other, despite the fact that they're free to use for everybody. And so, you know, weirdly, you see all the ANZ customers can line up behind the ANZ ATM, and uh, the CBA Westpac and that one will be free. Um, uh, available, but customers won't use it because they've still got this mindset that they'll use their own bank ATMs. So we recently sold our off-site fleet of ATMs um, to a cash logistics partner, Armaguard, that we use. And um, so we no longer, or we won't when we settle, we no longer own those ATMs, but we'll still provide that capability, that free service to our customers through the entity that owns those now. But we didn't feel the need to own those um, with the, the cost of maintaining, um, upgrading, innovating in that space. We felt it was best to partner with someone who's an expert in cash logistics and making sure those ATMs are available. So that's another example. In New Zealand, we have massive finance business, UDC, which we, uh, which we sold recently. And again, that is, that is an important product. Lots of our business customers have an asset finance product, but we didn't feel the need to be the manufacturer and the natural owner of that, but we did feel the need to provide that service to our customers to fulfil that need in a seamless way. So, you know, perhaps white labelling of some of these products back to the bank will be options going forward as we find suitable partners. Well, thanks very much, uh, Vincent and Lisa and Mark, for talking us through the transaction, the details of, of which obviously are now uh, released publicly. Uh, thanks again very much for your time and good luck with the partnership. Thanks, thanks. Andrew. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes. This podcast was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.